Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. So yeah, just it was like it was one of the most extreme nights of my life. But I I mean I remember probably falling asleep about 5 a.m. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Woke up about 7.38. And I've, I woke up feeling like I felt about three stone lighter, like so clear. Mentally, I felt like somebody had gone into my head and just scraped out loads of dirt. And I, I remember the sun was just coming up and I went and sat and everyone else was still asleep. And I went and sat down in this garden just as the sun was coming up on my own on a chair. And I was just, it was like almost bliss. It was so strange. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Balancing Acts. In this conversation, I chat to stand-up comedian Cole Donnelly. Perfect. Hi, this is Steve Whiteley, comedian, actor, filmmaker and writer, all-round ADHD creative. And welcome to my new podcast, Balancing Acts, where I talk to an array of creatives ranging from comedians, actors, directors, all sorts. And we talk about how they find a sense of balance or not between their creative lives and their everyday lives and how that has an impact on their mental health and beyond. Balancing Acts is now made in association with The Comedy Crowd, who are a website and community that support independent comedy creators such as myself. I have a Comedy Crowd short, which is a a two-minute video, one of my characters on their website. They showcase the best new videos on Comedy Crowd TV, which is comedycrowdtv.com, and across media platforms, so do go and check them out. Carl's been nominated for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival Comedy Award twice, and uh, he's won a bunch of other awards. He's been on uh, a load of panel shows such as Mock the Week, Russell Howard's Good News. He's also performed in comedy festivals all over the world, including Just for Last Festival in Montreal, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, the New Zealand Comedy Festival, and loads more. Carl's also a podcast veteran. His podcast, Babysitting Trevor with Chris Martin, was a runner-up in the 2018 British Podcast Awards Best Comedy Podcast category. He also presents or co-presents Two Vegan Idiots with Julian Dean, which is a podcast that um, I actually only discovered recently, but I'm a big fan of. So uh, I suggest you go and check that out as well after you've had a listen to this episode if you, if you haven't done it already. This was a fantastic conversation. Um, we went in deep, covered a whole load of ground. We talked about how Carl 
getting into meditation had had a real positive impact on him and how it affected his um, anger levels. Not that he was necessarily an angry person before, but he finds that he very, very rarely tends to get angry. And he thinks that is a direct result of getting into meditation and spirituality. Um, he even says that his wife, he, he hasn't had an argument with his wife in over two years since they've been married. And um, we discussed this idea that we've actually been fed a lie in thinking that you're, you're meant to raise your voice at each other. Carl talks about how the end of his previous relationship led to some major life changes and how he had to deal with anxiety, stress and having suicidal thoughts. We discussed the importance of finding the right therapist and how that eventually got Carl into spirituality. And so we go into great detail about that and how he's particularly drawn towards uh, Buddhism. We talk about his experience of doing ayahuasca and the positive impact it's had on him and also why he he's, hasn't done it again since, why he feels that he didn't need to do it again. We talk about this idea of not trying not to take spirituality too seriously. Having said that, we also discuss our our, our relative experiences in India, man, traveling India. We talk about Carl's approach to his stand-up comedy and performance and how that's changed since he got into spirituality and has, has made him more empathetic towards the audience and, and really being motivated for to support on a show that gives them a good time as opposed to sort of just going up there motivated by ego and saying, hey, look at me type thing. Carl talks about the challenges of when he did TV panel shows and why he didn't necessarily enjoy doing them um, we talk about the challenges comedians will face when we start gigging again after this uh, these strange times, this lockdown period is over and whether you're going to need to reference the lockdown in your material. We talk about why we're both enjoying our individual lockdowns and how Carl has sort of had a realization during this time that he doesn't need to spend money actually on trivial things that he he used to spend it on before, before the lockdown. Um, we agree on the importance of going to bed early uh, discuss veganism and uh, the different reasons why we both got into it in the first place. So there's absolutely loads here. It's a really good one. I think you're going to enjoy it. So over to Carl. I was listening to um, the episode on Two Vegan Idiots with uh, Russell Hicks. Oh, yeah. Who I love. And um, I think it was in this conversation you're talking about if you are in terms of like arguments now, you imagine arguments between sort of couples. If you're at a certain, when, if you've been working on your mind for a certain period of time, you're less likely to have those like major clashes because you might, you might be aware of your blind spots or yeah. so. Whereas before it's just like, Oh no, you're wrong. I'm right. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the other person's perspective, but imagine it must be really challenging Obviously, it's challenging if neither person has done that work. But if one of you has and then the other one hasn't, that's yeah. what. I definitely, yeah, I think I, I can, like me and my ex, we, were, we went on very different paths. Like we, we, I was married before. And, uh, and like we, it's weird. She was always much more of a charitable person. Like she's, she worked for charities and things. And she was, in terms of her day-to-day -day life, she was one of the most giving people you could ever meet. Um, and, but she was, she had no interest in like, you know, sort of the, the, the mindfulness sort of aspect of life. Like it's almost like she just naturally did those things in terms of giving a lot to the world. Yeah. But while we were together, like in the sort of time we were together, I got well into like meditation and things like that. And, and like sort of, you know, by the end, I think I like, we went on very different paths, whereas like, 
she was still quite fiery and it would, would blow up if we had an argument. And but I used to be like that as well and I'd react. And by the time we split up, I think I'd got to a point where I didn't want to, I didn't even want that reaction to be on the table. So it became like this math, this sort of gulf between us that I didn't want to be in a relationship that involved any sort of conflict. And we'd already, we'd driven, we'd, dri- we'd grown apart anyway. But yeah, so I, I'm now like, I, I'm one of these people now that I can't understand when people lose their temper. I'm always looking at it, thinking like, what a waste of energy it looks like. So does nothing get you angry? Not really. No, I've not. I can't remember the last time I was angry. Like I, I, I used to have a joke like, with mates about like I'd lose my temper like once a year, and it would be like a, it would just be a totally irrational thing that would annoy me to the point where I got quite angry. But apart from that, now I very rarely. I can't, yeah, I mean, I can't remember the last time I got angry. I like, mean, my wife, my wife, we got married two years ago. And um, like we've, ne- we've been together for almost five years and we've not never once raised our voices to each other. That's impressive. Yeah, I think, but it's, I don't know. If I, some people seem to say that, but I always think, I just think we've been sold the lie that you're meant to raise your voice to each other. You know what I mean? I think there's that myth people get told and we get raised by being told that oh, if you're meant to shout at each other now and again to sort of like to get all any tensions out and deal with stuff and it's like but you can actually deal with it without getting to that point if the moment you've got an issue you just discuss it like grown-ups it will never get to the point of losing your temper yeah i was going to say the alternative is you just sort of be very passive aggressive to each other yeah did you did you clean those dishes (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i think we've had even like i'm trying to think off the top of my head even things that have looked like they could develop into an argument. I can only think of a couple like off the top of my head where me and her have had a, a slight different difference of opinion, even drunk, and we'll start what sounds like it could become a, an argument. And then within you know, half an hour, it's sort of, we're both sort of laughing about it, and it's never actually got to that point of being a real argument. That's, that's, that is very positive. I think also part of the, the uh, battle is choosing the right partner well yeah you know? i think that there is that i think people want it don't want to accept if people say like you know oh you're meant to argue you know it's part of being in a relationship relationships are hard that's the biggest lie i think where everyone's sold is relationships are hard they're hard if you're um you know if either you're not willing to fix the reasons it feels hard or you're not willing to admit that you're probably not with the right person and that's two horrible and difficult things to face up to i think so most people just go oh no it's meant to be hard that's the easier yeah. option, isn't it? Yeah, well, that sort of like leads me on to sort of like, I guess, a bigger bigger conversation is, um, again, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm referencing something you said in, in your podcast, but uh, I think it was you and Julia, Julian were discussing, and I think Russell as well, how so many people go through life without doing the work on themselves because it's, 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 hard, it's a hard thing to do. And sort of when you're dealing with, say, like, past trauma or whatever is the reason that is you're walking around with whatever burden is on you which you know um makes you act or react in certain ways so many people don't get to that point or even don't want to face that because it's like it's it's fucking hard isn't it yeah you don't know how long that period is going to last like once you stop doing it is that something that you've gone through like like you seem like quite a an, an you know quite a, an awake 
an awake, I don't say woke, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. don't care, woke, man. Uh, you know, you seem like quite awake, I say that. And um, is that because you were something led you down that path where you like, all right, I need to do this work on myself? Yeah, I think it was definitely that towards the end of that relationship. Like I was going through probably a bit of life change. Like, you know, I could feel something was coming. I think that relationship felt like it was, you know, we were basically, we were putting a real effort into something that we probably needed to both face up to the fact that it's not going to work. And yeah, we really tried. That's the thing. I was always, I sometimes, you know, it's, you know, it's sort of people just a, a bit too quick to jump or whatever, but we really put effort in. We tried counseling and everything. And then at the same time I was going through, so I was working out some things that was ha- were happening to me. Like, I used to have a lot of, I think, anxiety and stress. I've never, ever gone to a doctor's about it. You know, I'd had, you know, I'd probably, I, I would say at my worst, before I'd ever got diagnosed with anything, I would think about suicide. I reckon I'd get into double figures every day without even, and not even, I don't mean that in a bleak sort of like, you know, sounding way. It was just, it was something that was in my, it was constantly in my mind of like, you know, that is an option. Yeah. And, that, and that, But it was never like, I was never sort of moping around the house thinking that I'd be walking around just thinking, well, you know, out of all the, as stressful and difficult as life feels, that sort of a option. I started suddenly realizing things like that, that relationship was, was was not right for either of us and we were probably causing more harm to each other than good i you know probably i had loads of issues with my family i'd never really properly got into and looked at i was just i'd sort of just distanced myself a bit from them and just accepted that was a lot and yeah i suppose it was it was that there wasn't too much bad childhood stuff going on but i just knew i had a series of things that if i didn't fix them would be a constant in my life even that relationship could end but the reasons that for that relationship ending probably would still be there and my issues that I had and uh and yeah so when that relationship did end I just went on this probably you know I reckon it was sort of probably the last two years of that relationship going through for about another three years afterwards so it's probably about a five-year period where I did I ended up going to doctors and getting medicated and then I got I went into therapy and it took me a while to find the right therapist and that was really important and then I also went off and got quite interested in the alternative method so I started reading a lot of yes I, I, I did some self-help books but I, I, I quite quickly got a bit sick of them and moved on to the the ones behind them do you know what I mean like I sort of read The Power of Now which everyone fucking reads and from that Rather than just, I, I felt I felt a lot of the ideas were really good, but I, I was more interested in what them ideas came from. So I, I went back and read like a lot of Buddhist texts and Hindu texts, and I started, I read like a lot of the old, you know, the thing, the sort of well, where them ideas originated. So I started getting into that, and through that, I got into meditation, and then I also went. I, I mean, I went off and did bloody ayahuasca and done quite a few things. I've been to bloody. You know, I've got a friend who's a sound healer. I've been to her sessions of lying there meditating while she bangs gongs. Yeah, I've done sort of... That's the one thing I haven't done yet is the gong bath. I want to do that. It's, I mean, it's just basically a lovely meditation session. It's yeah. not... I, you know, I, I, I do think there's probably something to the... Just the like, sound, that sound in the background can be quite powerful when you're meditating. But yeah, I think what happened was I just started doing the the day-to-day medicinal 
you know, advice stuff for myself. But on top of that, I added a handful of, you know, more alternative things. And actually, they're the ones I ended up really latching onto and have stuck with and I've got rid of everything else. That's exactly the same with me. Uh, well, yeah, went down the more, you know, I guess, traditional route and then started exploring, I guess, yeah, like you said, the alternative side of things and very, very similar parallel. Got into Buddhism and I ended up living in a, in a Buddhist, men's Buddhist community. And, Where was that? Uh, at the London Buddhist Centre in Bethnal oh, Green. I yeah, I know London Buddhist. I used to go to their daily drop-in sessions. They're great, aren't they? They're brilliant. And also, a lot of people don't know about it. Or I, I, or I've recommended it to so many people because, you know, I think meditation is scary to a lot of people. Well, not scary, but they just think it's hard work. And actually, one thing I will say, even though, you know, when I tend to meditate now, I don't do it in any particular fashion. But like I, 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 I like with Buddhist meditation, a lot of it is quite active. You're, work, you're sort of using little tricks while you're doing it so you're moving your attention to certain parts of so actually it's not what people think which is trying to block everything out of your mind which is impossible that's not how the mind that's not how your brain works you know what i mean but what it is is just diverting your attention to somewhere that quietens everything else and i think buddhist meditation is really good for that and it's a free it's a free drop-in session every day one o'clock, you just give a little donation if you've got it on the way out. But that, that sort of that place is one of the first places that taught me the the foundations of meditation, really. Yeah, they're doing amazing things at the moment during this lockdown period. They're like they're yeah. doing live live streaming classes and Dharma talks on their YouTube channel. So yeah, it's it's an amazing just resource and a place to discover that side of things in quite yeah. a you know, gentle way because like there's, you know, there's some roots into it via the secular side of things like headspace and yeah, I, yeah. I, I read the mindfulness by, I think Mark Williams that first got me into it. And then yeah. I guess with those Buddhist beginners class, it's you're starting about the breath and then they'll, you know, here and there start dropping in in a few bits. So, Oh yeah. yeah. The, the Buddha. <clears throat> what? Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 2000 years ago. What was that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but Yes, it's it's great. So, what does your what, next? What's your like daily meditation practice now consist of? It, it's, there's no real set. Like, I tend to do it just a lot and very little over the day. Do you know what I mean? I do it in little bursts throughout the day. So, like, yeah, I, I'll have just moments of it. That's what I tend to do now. I don't have this practice of get up, do it for an hour or whatever. Like my like today, I, I got up. And so my morning routine tends to be I get up and I make I make a V60 coffee, which is quite a long-winded, quite wanky filter coffee. And so basically, it's like you're talking about a 15-minute process of making yourself a very sort of strong black coffee. Okay, it takes a lot of time and it's quite um, ceremonial. You know what I mean? I have to pour the water very gently, and I do that as my first. That's the first thing I do when I get out of bed, and it's like I almost treat that as a meditation i've not i won't have any television or anything on if i put music on it's always something like meditational like it'll be like so i've got loads of playlists that adjust things like binaural beats and theta waves and all these weird like hippie you know meditation music so i'll have something like that on while i do my coffee and i, I tend to just use that as a little morning getting things working and starting the day then I read, so I'm sort of just sit and read for an hour while having my coffee, and then, and then probably like today when I, I did exercise and in between I was I've got a weight set in the garden, 
and in between sets of weights I meditate so I just do like you know I'll do a set for a minute and then I'll stop and I'll have like two minutes of meditation and I find that a really I find that a really like at the minute for some reason I'm really enjoying that as my little process that's some Bruce Lee shit right there. Well, it, feel, it does feel a bit like that. It seems a bit like, I think my, my wife caught sight of me out of the window today. I must have looked insane. I did like these, I'm not like, I'm not a big, a muscly guy or anything. I'm quite sort of, it's just, yeah, I'm pretty standard shaped. Um, but I, I was doing these things called Arnold shoulder presses. Oh, yeah. Where you have dumbbells and you bring them in and then you put them out and, and up. And then, and then, so I do that. I drop the dumbbells, and I just go into like a meditative state for a few minutes. So anyone, what? Yeah, I think Hannah was watching, probably thinking he's finally lost it. I did. Uh, my neighbour caught me today. I, I, I now do these. I've said very similar to you again in terms of I have this sort of very specific morning routine. Yeah. And uh, over the last few months, when I was in India, I was in India. Uh, when I was in India, um, I, <laughs> no, I don't know. I've done India as well, man. It's, uh, I've done all it's the so, it's, um, it's, a, it's a real challenge to uh, not. It's not a challenge, but sometimes you can catch yourself talking about these things, saying, "Oh my God, I'm sounding like a right wanker right now." You know, to say it in a, I guess, in a relatable way without trying to come across as. Yeah, just sort of like wafty and, you yeah, know. Yeah. But I think but that also, it, that depends on your background and, you know, self-awareness and stuff. But I know for a fact that I often take the, I, I mock myself as I'm saying a lot of these things. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah that's exactly. not, you know, that's just because I come from a, I grew up in a council flat in South London. My parents couldn't be further from this world. You know, my brother is a used car salesman in Nottingham. You know, like I don't ha- I don't come from a family or my, my family is like Irish Catholic, but there was no real spirituality in that house. It was it was good old fashioned Catholicism, which was go to church on Sunday so that you don't go to hell. Do you know what I mean? That was the basic of it. So I find now I've still got that programming, which means when I'm talking about going to India and you know, it, I, I I hear myself saying it and I'm sitting there going, "Oh, shut up, you wanker!" <laughs> but that's not I know I know you know I'm genuine when I say it but I also think it's good to have the self-awareness to see that you could sound to some people like your archetypal you know hemp trouser wearing got your boots on yeah 100% I was talking to Tom Ward about this and uh this idea that it's so important to have a sense of humor you know with your approach to spirituality or for people that are you know, are, are teaching that stuff. Yeah. If it's too straight or if it's too preachy, it's, that's a turnoff, I find. Definitely. And that's what puts a lot of people off, I think, is that it feels very serious. You know, it feels very religious, doesn't it? Even though, like, yeah. you know, whereas a lot of, that's why I quite, I'd say out of all of them, I'm quite drawn towards Buddhism. And, you know, it just feels a little bit more lighthearted, doesn't it? It's, um, you know, it's not as pious. Yeah, totally. And with the uh, Tree Ratna movement, the, the, the sort of the Buddhist movement where the London Buddhist Centre is based, um, they're, so it's, it's a modern form of Buddhism. So they essentially they try and take different aspects from different schools of Buddhism and 
what they consider to be the best bits and mold that together, but do it in yeah. a modern way. So I've talked about this before in the podcast. You know, when I say I've lived in this Buddhist community, you immediately conjure up the image of like, oh, being in robes and, you know, yeah. shaving your head. And, but, you know, you had people there who were ordained Buddhists who uh, had full-time jobs and they'd go off to work, come back, and they just wanted to live in this community that, um, I guess, helped them progress down on, on their path, but also do it in a supportive way where everyone else you're living with is sort of attaining towards a similar goal. For me, you know, you know, as, as, as a comedian, it wasn't sustainable, uh, you know, because every yeah, yeah. Thursday night is supposed to be community dinner night. It's like the one night you come in, I was like, sorry, guys, uh, I've got a gig. Um, or, or talking about the gig at dinner, uh, you know, so. And there's but, also good chains of thought on like, like, I've read quite a lot into Zen. And like one of my, one of my best friends is currently living in a Zen monastery in Japan. Like, and he's in the hardcore you know, up a mountain, wearing a robe, shaved head, can't can't wear any, you know, gloves or socks in winter. You know, it's proper, it's like proper hardcore zen. And you know, he's he used to be a stand-up. He was a brilliant comedian, but he just gave it all up to go and do that. And he um, basically, for him, he needed, to, he wants to get away and learn it in the most extreme, like almost. I don't know, like, you know, for him, he wants it to be something that he does to the max. So, like, that because that's just how his mind works. He wants to be that. But a lot of people, you know, there's, there's loads of different thought processes in Zen. There's different types of Zen where it's all about doing it in your daily activities. And actually, that's where you can find enlightenment. Basically, do it, like, have such an extreme routine every day that you finally find enlightenment by, just by almost re- repetition. Whereas there are different ones that I much prefer. I'm much drawn, like me and him got into meditation around the same time and we just couldn't have gone in more different paths. So I really like using meditation in your day-to-day life in, the, in what we would call the real, real world. You know, like I like getting on the tube and meditating on the tube when I'm surrounded by just countless people and it feels, it, to the outside world, it looks really stressful and busy and, and I find myself then if I can go into like a really calm meditative state, then I feel like I'm getting somewhere. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I can relate to that. I, sometimes like I, I question, not question, but I, I think about this idea of going to live in, in a, in a retreat, etc. And sometimes, and I guess it's down to individual circumstances and, 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 you know, and cases, but sometimes I think, Oh, is that an is that an escape? Are people going into that? Uh, is is as escape because you've got these these perfect circumstances, but unless you can apply those to real world, how beneficial is it? And I say that from the perspective of I, I've done when I've done retreats, say ten day meditation retreats. Yeah. I remember I did a retreat and um, got a coach back. It was in Norwich in the countryside, like idyllic circumstances and situation came back got dropped off i was living in dalston off ridley road market at the time got dropped off on a saturday walking through the markets just absolutely <laughs> mental couldn't have been any more ex- of an extreme contrast yeah. and i'm like i just i need to i need to get inside i need to get inside but then i'm still i'm i feel like i'm floating i can feel the effects of that retreat for maybe the next 7 to 10 days but then cuz you're living in london yeah yeah it, you're back you're back yeah it's hard it's like you know, it's almost like it's like that Ram Das quote. You heard the one where he goes, "If you think you're enlightened, spend a week with your family." 
you know, it's like, it sums up that it, it's, you know, everyone, anyone who thinks they're enlightened, normally there's still things that can annoy them. Like my, I've got my good friend and my, my best friend, actually. He, um, it's weird. Like literally two of my best friends in the last five years have just pissed off and like gone off to live in the wilderness. But my best friend from like school, he, um, he's currently living in a, in a, it's, I don't know what, what type of, practice it is i think it's a zen retreat it's in wales and he's been there on and off now for about 18 months and like he's now been there for about six months full time and um he was saying like what shocked him early doors was how some of the other people that you know you would say would be further along down the line as from him in terms of like had they been going there for years they've been maybe maybe lived there for two years but he said how how it like often he catches them just really getting frustrated over the most tedious day-to-day thing and he he's like he felt like he's gone there and he feels much more spiritually down like further down the line than some of them who've spent five years following this path but he's only really been committed to it properly for about a year and he feels much more like he's better at you know the practicing what he's learning yeah it was, I find that you can go down that route um, to maybe you can go down that route and not and still not deal with your emotional baggage. Yeah, and yeah. what I, what I found was I'd done therapy, but then I when I I, I did, I've just come off the back of doing a four year Buddhist course as part for part of the London Buddhist um, Center. And it was re- it was amazing, you know, just. Yeah very insightful definitely had my practice but then what happened off the back of that it then sort of like gave me the space in my mind to actually realize that there was like some emotional baggage or trauma when I was a kid that I hadn't dealt with so then yeah. it led me to deal with that so yeah I completely understand that because you can you can sort of like meditate all you want but if you don't if you still haven't faced up or dealt with the issues you've been carrying then you're still going to react in the same ways and you're still going to be sort of like, not trapped, but you're going to be in a, that sort of space of mind, no matter what. Have you ever read any stuff by the psychologist Oliver James? He's no. Like, he's, he's quite controversial. He's, he wrote a famous a child psychology book called They Fuck You Up. And it's all about the effect that parents have on their children and how it's much worse than we think. Like he talks about, you know, the nature-nurture argument. And he talks about how, you know, in, the, in between six months and three years, every child is basically a sponge who will pick up on every negative emotion that is sent out. And, he, and he's not saying it in a sense of parents are bad. He's saying it's almost impossible not to negatively affect your children in that period of time. What you've got to be hyper aware of is helping them to make sure they don't become habits and stuff like that. So if you do act in a certain way and your seven-month-old is sitting next to you, don't think as they're seven months old that they've not soaked that up. You know, I mean, that could become a thing if you don't try and show them the alternative, essentially. And he thought he, he's really critical of CBT. He, he says it's really terrible uh, thing to introduce into like common use, like for people that have got mental health problems. He said basically CBT is learning to change your emotions in, in the moment when something happens that might trigger you to have a you know, an anxiety-driven moment. He said, but at no point in that are you learning why you're reacting like that. 
he said like it's almost he goes it's it's literally it's it's basically like the sticking plaster alternative of or it's, it's the sticking plaster of psychotherapy do you know what i mean to teach people to react in a slightly calmer manner to something that's set off something that's clearly a part of them that they they're reacting like that for a reason he said that what you need to do is go right back and find out why you're reacting like that otherwise you're only ever going to be sort of reacting in the moment and trying to fix it in the moment you're never actually going to just get rid of it yeah yeah that's that's why i always i can never really trust you know you come across spiritual people who are sort of like yes uh, they're sort of talking that that way and like come on what what gremlins are you hiding behind that come on uh i did um I, when i was in india uh when i was in india again uh, i did uh went on the uh you heard of the, have you heard of the hugging guru no i hadn't either but she's she's amazing um it was in in kerala and someone said oh you gotta go and see the hugging guru she's got this whole ashram and she's famous because ever since she was sort of like a kid she was like i think she was born as a, as, as as one of the krishnas supposedly yeah. and she you know um she was basically compelled to hug anyone she saw in the streets from the age of like six or seven right. you know I guess how I used to be when I did a bit of Mandy on a night out, you know, yeah. and, um, and, and we went there and it was an amazing experience, but it was also fascinating seeing the types of personalities that were drawn to it. I was only there for a few days, but very much goes back to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. The way that you're, you're acting, you're, you, you're acting or reacting to certain situations because there's so many people you know, on top of each other in this close yeah. confinement. And some of them would be spending months and months together. Uh, from like a comedian perspective, it's, it's quite funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but well, you... I'm not cynical of like, and, I, and again, I'm not, I'm not judging anyone, but I know people that go to India all the time and, you know, they, they've got their ashram they go to and it costs them a couple of grand and they'll go yeah. there every year for a month and they'll be like, it's the, you know, it's so great what it does for me. And it's like, Basically, they fly to India to spend a month with loads of other middle-class white people exactly. who've flown in to be told, you know, like everything is, in, you know, everything is just one man, you know, like it's all like it just. <laughs> and I'm always cynical of that. Like I met when yeah, me, I, me and my mate, who's the one who now lives in the retreat in Wales. Me and him went round India together, and we'd split off for a few days here and there on our own and come back and. We um we what we I found it really interesting the people you meet when you're there like because we, we we flew into Goa and we met people who'd been in Goa for two months who planned to travel around India and got to Goa and were like oh man everything you want here and it's like it's not it's it's basically Tenerife in India isn't it right? yeah yeah so we last we only lasted two days in Goa and then we just hit the road and we every time we like we ended up going to a couple of the quite famous like j- points of the journey for like people traveling around india and we never lasted more than a day the moment we met all the other people that were traveling there we were just like this is not what we're here for and we'd disappear off to some weird town in the middle of nowhere that had no one you know what i mean like actually we found ourselves more and more using that trip to get away from the sort of people that you know were on the same journey weirdly yeah yeah no that's that's uh i definitely found that as well um i went to veranasi and yeah, so i didn't get to veranasi i ended up running out of time. but it's uh, my friend went he yeah so he carried on without me i did I, like, he he stayed an extra month after i'd left and 
Yeah, he did Varanasi on it. And he did uh, Rajasthan as well on his own, which was pretty cool. Yeah, it was an awesome place. I did Banglasi, um, which is it's like an hallucinogenic, and it was it was it was amazing. It was it's it's like I think it's like a weed shake, but we did you know did a strong one of those, and you're on the tuk tuks, and it's just off the there's just so many noises and smells etc. And it's all accentuated, and you're just like what is going on right now? Like you feel like you're in a Hunter S. Thompson kind of vibe. It's overwhelming at times. Like I, we I, we spent four days in Delhi when we were we went from so we did mostly in South India, and then we just flew we just got a plane and flew north just to work out where to go next and yeah we spent four days in Delhi it was one of the most stressful four days of my life like you know it's such a sensory overload yeah like yeah once I couldn't yeah I couldn't wait to get out of it yeah it's Delhi I didn't I I, I couldn't spend time there it was no. it was an in and out place for us um, yeah. to fly to the next destination so you're saying that you've you've done ayahuasca I know you've talked about this before um I went to a talk last month by the uh, Psychedelic Society. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they've now set up a retreat center in, in Amsterdam where people will microdose on um, psycho, uh, no, psycho, psychocybin. Psilocybin. Psilocybin, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. thank you. And uh, they're doing it uh, to, I think it's, it's becoming more and more common practice now to help people through depression and using it as an alternative um i've done dmt but i haven't done uh, ayahuasca before what how, how what what benefits if you compare that to you know, the meditation practice in what were the benefits and in what way did you find it different i know it's, it's a very intense experience isn't it well weirdly i like, i went through a phase of doing all of them like me and my, my friends you know well, yeah, me and a couple of mates, once we started getting into meditation and stuff, we started messing around with LSD and mushrooms. And then we found DMT. And what at the time, I found them really useful because they felt like sort of a, a shortcut to what you're looking for through meditation, which is just that sense of connection to, to what, something that feels like it's further below what you're aware of, I suppose. And like, I did that for a period of time and then basically I felt like it built up. I felt like I ticked them all off and used them for a certain purpose. And then ayahuasca was sort of like, it felt like getting to like the end of level boss or something like, like you know, the end of the game. You got to yeah. like beat the final boss. And, um, and yeah, I got loads out of it, but I think you've got to go into it pretty head on. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was so brutal. Like, you know what I mean? You are, like the first bit, if yeah, if you, we did some meditation beforehand and we just sat and we chatted and we drank herbal tea and then it's like, right, it gets dark, let's do it. Big fire going. We drank and like he sort of offered us the full amount or he said, if anyone wants to, is a bit nervous, you know, don't feel pressured to do, to take the full first dosage. But like, I just went, I'm just I'm like in for a penny and for a pound, I did the full lot. And then within about 45 minutes, I was struggling, man. I was just like, felt like turning into a werewolf or something. It was like something was taking over your body. And then just when it was starting to feel like this is, this is going to be really hard. Like I hadn't even gone into like the, the, the mental state yet. I was just going through the physical like struggle of my body just rejecting this stuff. And then he said, right, round two. And it basically it was like you had to then drink again. Jeez. Offers you the same amount, 
and like another somebody almost bailed out then and just went, I'm just going to, no, I'm not going to skip this round. And a couple of us just went, just give it to me, just down the lot and just went back into the fetal position. And then that's when it just went crazy. Like I went into this, I went into this sort of cycle of quite vivid, extreme reliving of a childhood incident, which I would come out of in just like uncontrollable tears. And then I'd vomit violently and then I'd go back into a different memory. And it was like, and when I say memory, it was like, it was a genuine memory, but it was like, it was as if you were, it was like sort of quantum leap sort of thing, as if I was reliving it as, as I was there, but having to relive it from now, like the consciousness I've got now and having grown up and like with the sort of hindsight that I've turned out all right and looking at things that were tough and tricky when I was young. So yeah, just it was like it was one of the most extreme nights of my life. But I, I mean, I remember probably falling asleep about five a.m. Woke up about seven thirty-eight, and I've I woke up feeling like I felt about three stone lighter, like so clear mentally. I felt like somebody had gone into my head and just scraped out loads of dirt. And I, I remember the sun was just coming up, and I went and sat, and everyone else was still asleep. And I went and sat down in this garden just as the sun was coming up on my own on a chair. And I was just, it was like almost bliss. It was so strange. Like it, it, it was, yeah, it felt like 10 years of therapy. Like that, that's one of the things they say about it. They say it, it feels like 10 years of therapy in one night. And it's not, it's absolutely not what I expected to get from it. I thought it was going to be all like a, a crazy DMT trip where you sort of see all these kaleidoscope things and, you just feel like you've gone into some other dimension that we have we haven't got access to and like this it's like it's just you're suddenly connected to all the energy man but but ayahuasca was the opposite it felt like having to go to the most extreme therapist you're ever going to go to and actually go back to your child and go right here's this, uh, here's the list of things that i think you've probably carried around a bit too long let's sort this out wow has has it had a long-standing impact on you absolutely like one night of it made me totally like not change but what it did was it made me see my parents in an entirely different light like I think I'd sort of always felt like a total outsider in my family just because my parents you know they're not I always felt like almost resentful that I was born into that family because they're sort of a bit you know, they're just, they're, you know, they're not academic types, not to particularly, you know, open-minded, you know, they'll get their copy of the sun every morning, read it in their council flat and then moan about immigrants, even though, you know, they've come over from Ireland in the sixties, you know, it's that sort of family of, they've never ever looked outside their bubble. And I grew up and I was always quite, uh, you know, an adventurous kid. So like, you know, I, I had loads of different friends from all different places and I went off and I wanted to travel and, I just I always felt like I was born into the wrong family and I sort of resented them for how they were. And there were some periods in, my, in the early life when they sort of went through some bad issues of their own and they split up and I sort of had to live with my dad in a council flat somewhere else. And I didn't even see my mum for about nine months because she was going through a psychotic episode. And I had all these, like, I'd never really dealt with the, how that felt at the time. And I think I just I just sort of locked it down and I always just thought, well, it's fine. Once I'm, once I'm 18, I'm out of here. Do you know what I mean? So I just did that. I just made that break. And I, 
you know, I always, I, I help them out. I, you know, I've had to sort of help them out financially. I've always, I'm there. My brother doesn't live in London. I've always been, I think, a helpful son. I'll always do what I can for them. But I've never, ever had that family connection to my family. And actually, what that ayahuasca did was take me back to all the times that I thought they'd been bad parents and see it from their perspective of all the shit they had going on in their lives, all their history, and realise that it weren't their fault. And it was, it was such a revelation to learn that. Because it's not something you can really just... You can, you can think that in your mind and logically go through that concept, but you actually can't change the emotional feeling to that thought. You know, And it felt like it just did it. It felt like it went in, showed me it, and went, right, there you go. Now you can move on with your life. Perfect. Hello, sorry to interrupt in the middle of this insightful conversation, which I'm enjoying, I'm sure, just as much as you are. But I need to give you guys a little reminder. Uh, If you like this conversation, this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do subscribe to us, rate and review us because it makes the world of difference. And the more reviews we get, the more rates we get, the more people can discover the podcast and we can make it go viral, whatever that means. Okay, back to the chat. And then did you call it quits then or have you done it again since? Well, I've sort of called it quits. I've had the odd thought about doing it again. But weirdly, once I'd done that, since then I've not done any any hallucinogen or any of them things at all. I feel like what it did was make me realise that, all right, that's what I got out of that, what I needed. And all the other ones like DMT and that, I actually don't think you get a lot out of it that you can't get out of other things that you don't where you don't have a drug to induce it i think you can get to that feeling through just like meditation and mindfulness if you even like even just for a split second you're not after it all the time because that that would be when you wouldn't be able to function in the real in the real world you know in the world but yeah i think i much prefer this now being quite clean living and doing it my own way feels like cheating with stimuli isn't it yeah yeah i i know i know what you mean uh i think sometimes it can be helpful for people because it can act as a gateway to them going yeah. into getting into meditation and you know they have their first maybe spiritual experiences yeah, so yeah, yeah. in that respect it can be quite useful I, How, I, just, I would say quickly yeah i'm and this isn't an endorsement or a recommendation but I definitely think the first spiritual experience I had was on acid. Really? <laughs> like in terms of, you know, I remember doing it with friends and they all, you know, we, I, I grew up in an environment where there was, you know, people would get drinking from a young age and taking drugs from quite a young age. And that was just the norm. And I remember like the first time I took a proper dosage of acid and I, you know, I've got friends who had done it, who said, oh mate, it's well fun. You know what I mean? It just fucks you up. And, you know, and they just came out of it as if it wasn't that a laugh. And I had moments on it where I just, it took me a while to compute where I felt like I'd sort of connected to something else. Yeah. And like, I didn't think it was particularly fun. I found it really like eye-opening. And yeah, it, took, it, gave me, it gave me a lot of stuff to think about, whereas my friends didn't seem to have a response to it. Interesting. So how do you find... Um... Well, I guess what what impact do you find that the I guess the combination of having done psychedelics or 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 maybe sort of your spiritual practice as a whole 
has on your or, or has had on your creativity and ha- and have you find have you found that sort of you've i guess as your comedy or i mean obviously your comedy is getting your your material is going to change as you get older but have you seen a vast difference since sort of Carl before Carl before spiritual Carl and after spiritual Carl yeah I definitely think I'm less self-conscious now on stage and like with what I think the audience think of me do you know what I mean I think I think it's slightly shifted and I think it might have happened with time anyway but I definitely now go on I think in a, from a different perspective than I used to I used to go on thinking like I'm I'm funny and they, you know, it was almost like that egoy thing of I was loving being on stage for the fact I was getting that attention, and I was the centre point of, you know, because I'd never done any performing before comedy, and I don't, you know, it's not something I ever considered what I wanted to do until I first saw stand up. That's the first time I thought I'd love a go at that. Was when I saw stand up for the first time, and like, I think that feeling of doing it and everyone laughing and you being a sort of focus point was something that I just fell in love with like straight away because I've never had that feeling but so I suppose I might have been doing it from that perspective of like it's cool man I'm like the you know the focus of everyone everyone's staring at me and laughing and I think as it went down the line now I'm much more enjoy it as a communal experience with a group of people like even my thoughts before I go on stage I was weird. Who was I talking to about this yesterday? I was talking to Julian Dean and uh, James Gill. We were doing our podcast and um, we were talking about your thoughts just before you go on stage. And because um, they're both into, like, they're both quite into self-help books. And, um, and I was saying how, in, I don't know where, yeah, it's, it, I've developed this weird thing where just before going on stage, I find myself looking out at the audience and just thinking like, I sort of start wish, almost wishing them well before I go on. I don't know what it is. It's this weird feeling of like, I try and just send out goodwill towards them, thinking that that's, that's all I want back from them. Like, it's almost like I want this to be a, I give them something, they give me something in return. And that's the, that's the deal. And it's just, I think now that's what I want out of each gig. I want it to be a, a fun group of people that will probably never ever all be in, be together at the same it, well you can't you know that group of people will probably never ever meet again so that's, it's a a beautiful, that's a beautiful approach i mean that is that in itself is is buddhist but there's yeah. um there's one one of the buddhist type of meditations is the meta bhavna where you're developing compassion yeah, yeah. for yourself and everyone else like that is literally just giving out meta yeah and i think that's it's nice to like you know, obviously within that, I'm, I want them to laugh. I'm trying to make them laugh and I want to be silly and I want it to be, I want to be open to just messing around and like, you know, all that, there's other, there's little things I'm thinking about in that, but yeah, the actual overwhelming thing I want out of each gig now is that, that moment of like, that couldn't have happened if I hadn't have gone on and done that and they hadn't have been open to it. Right. And so you're, uh, I mean, I, uh, I, t- I take it then sort of you're completely any sort of negative reactions or responses from audience members if you ever have them just kind of like th- th- where you're at right now just sort of maybe just bounce off you that you're not going to let them affect you or I, yeah pretty i'm not very i don't take things particularly personally you know I st- i'll take a bad gig badly like if you have like if you do a gig at christmas time it's a bit it's full of christmas parties and 
Yeah. And they don't really, they're not there for the, for the comedy. So they're not actually, they've not signed up to the, 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 the pact. Do you know what I mean? Like they're just there because they're bloody sort of director booked it in and like, they just want to be getting shit faced. So suddenly you find yourself in some gigs where the audience actually aren't there for the same reason that you are. So then they're, they're the gigs I take quite badly because I'm like, well, what was the point in that? It was literally any gig where I feel like I'm only doing it for the money. I feel like that's, that's literally the opposite of what I signed up for. You know, I do it because I love doing it. So they're the ones that I'll take quite badly because you'll get audience members there that genuinely have no intention of giving you anything. So right. that, that will bother me. Not bother me in the sense of like, you know, I'm not going to get angry with them or... You know, on, and on stage often, you know, if I see somebody who looks like they're not enjoying it, I'll either sort of slightly engage with it in quite a funny way to sort of accept that I know, I've, know, I've spotted them and I get it, they're not, they're not into it. But I think, I think my style on stage is not, you know, I don't think I ever antagonise anyone. So even if people that aren't really into the comedy, you know, if, they're not, if you've not got the same sense of humour, I think they'll all, they'll normally go. Oh, he seems like a nice enough guy. It's just not for me. It's very rare I get like very vindictive heckles. I can't remember the last time I had one. So yeah, I don't. If it's a bad gig because all the sort of all the ingredients were off, then I'll, I'll normally be quite. It will just I'll just be a bit sad about it because I'm like that's it's a waste of everyone's time. Whereas you know, I can't remember the last time I had just a good old fashioned death at a normal gig. Because yeah, that that would have I mean, yeah, that would be quite tricky. How did you find the Zoom gig we did the other night? That was fine. I mean, that you sort of I actually found it. It was it was it was a novelty, so I found it quite interesting. But was I definitely is that was that your first one since lockdown? Yeah, yeah and so. I definitely what I I I just I I came away from it thinking that was the best you can do in with these parameters of having everyone watching through a screen you can never fully enjoy it as much as a live environment so they did well to put it together but i know i'm not going to suddenly be thinking oh, i'd rather do that than actual comedy yeah yeah because also i know as an audience member like i i don't even enjoy watching comedy on television like i can't I've, i don't watch live at the apollo i don't watch like you know when if everyone there's always like new specials that everyone's talking about it'd be like if you've seen dave Chappelle's special and I can't watch them because I genuinely cannot enjoy a stand-up special if I'm watching it on telly. I find like that divide for me from sitting at home watching a bunch of people in a room watch that person. I find myself just feeling so sort of set back from it that I, I can't fully appreciate it, I don't think. I, really, I love live stuff. That's, 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 I like the, that energy in a room. I completely agree. And sometimes I try and force myself to watch specials. We're like, mate, you're, you're in comedy. You should be, you know, watching this stuff, you know, like almost give myself a guilt trip. But I think because you, you know, you have all the distractions around you. It's, yeah. Like I said, obviously it's not live and then you, you can easily just sort of look at your phone and message people while you're doing it. You're not totally engaged. Totally. You're not fully invested. You're not enjoying it as a all proper audience member. So I think, you know, some people have that that gear they can do that but i just know for a fact as somebody who fell in love with comedy because of the live experience that i will never you know i've tried i try probably once every six months i'll put on a special that everyone's raving about and within about five minutes i'm just like i'm not enjoying this it's just 
yeah. I don't want to. I don't actually want to watch it because I don't want to end up having a negative opinion of that comedian who's probably brilliant. But yeah. I just can't. I, 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 if I see him live, I think that I've had it with like some of the best comics in the world. Like I saw Bill Burr in Montreal at the comedy festival just before just before he became like a global superstar, and I didn't know who he was, and I just got taken to see him like at a late show. He was doing forty minutes to close a small gig. And it was absolutely brilliant. Like, it was like watching just one of the best, like proper, just club comedian types. One of them people that just absolutely leathers a gig. You know, they're not trying to bear their soul or anything like that. They're just out there to just absolutely muller a room. And it was so like impressive to watch. And then, you know, flash forward two years, everyone's banging on about you know, he's one of the best in the world. And I tried to watch one of his specials and I was like, oh, it's just so different to that when I saw him live, when I was in that room where you could feel that sort of electricity in the air of like every laugh was massive and you could just feel it. I just feel like that. I can't get over that hurdle of watching it from a screen. And on the, on the flip side, when you've done panel shows in the past, do you find, do you find that challenging in terms of it not being live and, and being pre-rehearsed to a certain degree? Yeah, I've, I've not, I, I mean, I've, I've only done a few of them and not for a while. And I think the reason I've not done them for a while is because I think I didn't, I, I don't think I was particularly good at them. And I think that comes from the fact that I, I didn't, didn't particularly enjoy them, you know? Yeah. And I also think it's a timing thing. I think I'd probably be a bit more comfortable on them now because I'm much more settled in myself, but I did them at a time where I was really, I was think I was a bit too self-conscious to be doing them. You know what I mean? Like you really, it's not like a normal gig where, like when you're on stage on your own doing stand up, like you are the master of your own destiny, aren't you? Like everything you do, you can tell in the that split second just how that went with the audience. With what? With the majority, with every audience member you can see, and normally from the volume of the response, you can tell if it was good. When you do a TV thing, you just don't have that. You know, there's so many other thoughts going on. You might do something that was funny but then you don't know if that's going to make the edit or if they might change the thing they might cut a bit of it i've had that happen before where they've just cut a bit off the end of a routine i'm like well that now the routine's just lost 30 percent of its worth and um and yeah things like that so i just think there's so much going on that isn't just that feeling of being on stage and just doing your stuff that i i just found i didn't enjoy it. i could never really be comfortable and settle whereas i think what it really works for comedians who are very self-confident and just know that know what they're about so i think yeah so i think i'd probably be much better at it now just because i just don't have the constant doubts that i used to have but yeah, I, I, yeah some comics just take to them like a duck to water and then normally people that you meet and you're like oh you just you're totally confident and happy in yourself mm. Are you still writing material now in lockdown mm. i've written bits and bobs i definitely have put it on hold a little bit though yeah, I'm sort of, I was writing an Edinburgh show and I put that show totally on hold. So I, I was writing, because me and my wife were expecting our first child. And... Um, Congratulations, man. So yeah, I was writing a show about, we did IVF and like, it was, you know, it was quite a funny experience, IVF. I didn't know anything about it before I went into it. So like, I was writing this show about, basically it was about going through that and then preparing for a child in the modern age. And actually, that's all, that whole show, I just now feel like I'd written about 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes. And I think most of that probably won't ever really 
to see the other side of the lockdown. It feels a bit, it's going to be hard, I feel. I was, I was chatting to a couple of comedian mates the other day about this, about them early gigs back. What are people going to talk about on stage? You can't just do your old stuff. You can't just go on and start talking about Brexit, can you? So like, you know what I mean? But also a lot of the jokes, a lot of the funny concepts about a lockdown have been done, haven't they? Because everyone's on social media. So we're in this weird, I think them early live gigs are going to be in this weird hinterland of how f- much can we say about it? It's like the same thing about Brexit. It just got to a point yeah. where it's just saturated. Everyone's making jokes about the same subject matter. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I've been thinking about the same thing as well from like a, like a sitcom writing perspective. Because, yeah. well, at the moment, broadcasters are looking for, obviously, there's, there's, there's parameters in terms of what, what they can shoot because yeah. you, can't, you can't shoot outside. So it's, it's kind of like lockdown related or stuff that can be shot from people's homes. But then you start thinking about, okay, well, when this is over, this sitcom that, or, that I've been writing for the last six months do I need? Do I now need to change it and start referencing this lockdown period? And if I don't, am I just ignoring it? You know. But then you think, well, well, then everyone's going to be mentioning it. Surely people are going to get bored of it. But no matter what, you're right. Things aren't. Things aren't going to be the same. So yeah. it's really going to be interesting. I don't. I'm still. I haven't. I haven't decided yet. Like how I feel, like my opinion on. You know. I think. So people go back to normal much quicker than they realise or they'd like to think. Like even for something this big, you know, if you look at any major social event of the last, well, in our lifetimes, even like the biggest ones, you look at the 9-11 and things like that. There's people, like the actual, the, the, mo, the how crazy something feels, people return just to, like people, I think people feel much more comfortable when they're in, living in quite a comfortable, you know, narrow sort of borders you know what i mean of their life and i think people don't like getting out of that groove so i actually think as much as we're probably thinking oh how can we go back to normal i think i think things will go back to normal much quicker than we think and yeah yeah within six months of the lockdown ending i think it'll almost be a an afterthought mm. just because it tends to be the way people do things don't they yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there's going to be social distance gigs at first, you know, people have to sit two metres apart from each other. It's weird, because I've had some messages about gigs in June. Like, I've still got gigs in my diary in May that haven't been cancelled. I'm sure they're going to go. But June gigs, I've had, I, just, I had a message earlier on from, about, from the promoter saying, like, you know, do you want to keep it in your diary? Because at the minute we're looking like we'll still go ahead, but we know some people won't be comfortable to perform. And I'm like... Yeah, it just seems, yeah, it feels like, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I've particularly taken it as seriously as I should have. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm adhering to the rules, sorry. What I mean by that is mentally I've, I've not taken it as seriously. In, in terms of its effect on my life, I'm, I'm well aware of just how severe it is for people that have been properly affected by it. But in terms of actually the lockdown aspect of it, that's not, I've not bothered. But like, it's, it's, it, I've quite enjoyed it. I'm the same. It sounds like callous to say it, because it sounds like you're then referencing the actual bad side. But I mean, I just mean the aspect of staying at home and, you know, not leaving the house. And yeah, I've actually, if anything, it's made me realise some of the wasted trips and some of the wasted spending and, you know, the just ambling around when I don't need to be. I've, I've found it quite uh, interesting to see how quickly I've gone, oh, I don't need to go for 
three coffees a day with mates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've also noticed uh, I've, I've some aspects I've been struggling. I find nighttime because I live in my own nighttime sometimes is not so good. Like nothing good happens if I stay up late at night. So I try. Is the is that is the genuinely the biggest trick to spending to being on your own? Early to bed, early to rise. Just spend as much yeah. time in daylight as possible. Exactly that. So I try and get up between five and six in the morning, so that. You know, that enables me. It doesn't work. I mean, last night, it's because obviously, obviously, but I emailed you this morning, saying, do you mind if we push it back? It's because I'd woken up having played, I played an online poker game with friends last night. Yeah. I don't really, I used to play, used to be massively into poker when I was younger. And now as lockdown, we've done a second uh, Friday night poker game in a row. I ended up playing till like two in the morning yeah, and yeah. went to bed and all night was dreaming of, poke of hands and like of the cards on the table just because like you've been staring at the screen for like four or five hours yeah. but any, anyway yeah i mean it's much better going to bed at a reasonable time i sound like so old dreary but that's what it's true though i just, just feel better i feel better for it everyone i know who is sort of quite neurotic um goes to bed late and sits there looking at their phone when they're in bed and there's so many just they they and they just they know that they're bad habits, you know. Yeah. I've been I've been going to bed like laughably. I've I've gone to bed. I think it was last Saturday. Me and my wife went to bed at ten thirty p.m. because right. so we were like, why, why are we staying up? We're not out. We're not doing anything. Yeah. it's not like the tellys like it used to be where you just had to watch it or you've missed it. Anything we want to do, we don't have to. We and we just both got into bed, just read for a bit, and it was so nice. I was like, oh, this and that's the thing I've really found like i'm i've missed the the you know that feeling of gigging and being on stage and having those fun nights at like a big buzzy comedy club but i've not missed going out to gigs in the evening i've not missed the actual timing of it yeah so having every evening at home has been so nice eating dinner at like 6 p.m watching an episode of the handmaid's tale or something mm. and then yeah it gets to 10 o'clock and i'm like right boom done it's lovely yeah, it, it makes things, you're living a far more simple existence. All those distractions that are pulling you constantly every day are just no longer there. They're, they're not options anymore. Yeah, oh, yeah. should I go to the pub with a mate or X, Y, and Z? That's gone. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it really puts into, um, yeah, just I sort of, these are my options. This is what's available to me. This is all I can do. But I think something else that I've been experimenting with or just been aware of is sort of like how I'm spending my time uh, when I'm working or how much time I'm, I'm potentially wasting and I trying to make my, trying to make more use of my time and like just understanding, I guess, time more of a, as a concept, it's so easy for it just to like float by and like, Oh, I've just done fuck all for the last few hours, which is fine at certain times, but it's, yeah. yeah, it's been, I think it's been a positive thing. It, it, it can, you yeah. can come out of it having taken positive aspects and experiences from it. And I'm thinking, like, even what what that fuck all time is, you know, there's different scales of fuck all, isn't there? Like, yeah. I think you know, there's spending and there's if you you can easily sit there if you wanted to and spend two hours refreshing Twitter, couldn't you, and just seeing what's happening on your Twitter feed? But you could also spend two hours just flipping staring at a wall, and you'd probably actually come out of it healthier. Do you know, like yeah. in terms of that feeling of being updated like I'm like yeah Julian who I did a podcast with Julian D he's a brilliant comedian you know he's 
he meditates and like in the mornings and like he's you know he's got a lot of good aspects and practices to his life but also he's still quite um like he he's somebody who is properly on the coronavirus daily like first he said the first thing he does when he wakes up is get grabs his phone checks for any updates and you know, he's looking at the graphs and all these facts and figures all during the day like he keeps going back to it to check it and he said he's not really had any other sort of intake like he's not watching any series not reading any books like his anytime he's reading something it's about coronavirus it's just because he said he feels like he's just that's where his mind's at at a minute he has to feel like he knows what's going on just to help him get through the days and i think you know a lot of people are in that at a minute where they feel like that is a good like good use of their time is to be on facebook reading everyone's posts about you know what we need to do for the nhs and like I think the opposite. I genuinely think you, you know, have a check in now and again if you want, once a day or once every two days. Things aren't changing quickly. You know, everything's changing very slowly. Every couple of days, check up on what the bloody government decided we should do next. But I think the rest of the time, it, you, how you spend that killing a couple of hours is is much more. You'd be much more better off just to pick up an old book you've not finished or, you know, even just watch an episode of something with some value. Do you know what I mean? Just something that is, yeah, I just, I just think it's too easy to waste your time doing something that's probably more negative to your mindset. I agree. Yeah. hundred percent. It's a battle. Um, but you know, if you can push through, it's worth trying to move towards that, that path and yeah, just not scrolling aimlessly and, taking a negative shit. Um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap things up. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. Um, two things. You mentioned books. Any any particular books uh, you're reading at the moment that you'd recommend? Uh, or not necessarily reading at the moment, but any any that sort of like, yeah, these life-changing books for me? Well, weirdly, like, I'm on a weird sort of, I don't know, I'm going on a weird angle at the minute. I've read loads of psychology books. But often like about child psychology just because I'm like my wife's expecting a kid I'm some reason feel like I'm on like a learning thing of I need to know what a kid's brain's about um so that's reading some of those Oliver James books has been really good um but at a minute weirdly I'm just I've just I found a compilation it's called like the 50 best 50 greatest philosophy books of all time I bought it in a like a WH Smith's at a train station because uh, I didn't, I've forgotten my book for a train. I've just read that. I finished it this morning, and it's, I've, it's, I've loved it. It's like I, I'm normally against the, the compilation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But what it does is just take like the 50 most important philosophy books ever written. Yeah, that's a, that's obviously a subjective list, but and it just gives you a really concise breakdown of what it was about, the the who, the author's background, and where where they sit in the context of philosophy you know which sort of branch of philosophy they're in and it also gives you a little list of if you like them check these out these are all like so it gives you the little and it's just i've it's really it's just been really interesting getting because i used to really love philosophy and i've sort of not been reading any for a while i've read more religious and spiritual stuff and psychology stuff so i feel like i'm going back to that so i've just got off the shelf it feels like a bit of a Moby Dick book that I've had sitting there for years and I've not managed to get over reading it. And it's the history of Western philosophy by Bertrand Russell. That's And it's big. And, you know, Bertrand Russell's not the most penetrable person, but I'm gonna, that's going to be my 
work for the next week, I reckon. Great. Awesome, man. Um, okay, final question to ask all the guests on the podcast. What does the idea of balance mean to you or not? Um, I just, I, I think it is, um, I suppose it's that feeling of being connected uh, at all times. That's what I think I'm aiming towards. I think I'm not, you know, I think most days I now have that sense of, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm wanting for stuff and I don't think I've got that, that constant sense that I'm missing out on, on anything or, I'm, you know, I'm not getting what I want. I think find that balance is that feeling that, you know, even if you're not loaded or you're not in a, you know, not in a relationship or things like that, I think just having that sense of general contentment and acceptance, that you're, you know, you are where you are and there's not, you know, you can change it, but you can't change it in a heartbeat. You've got to just accept your place to a certain degree and start making some positive changes if you need to. But yeah, I think balance is just that, that sort of sense, just having a background sense of peace and contentment is I think the the best thing you can have in life. Brilliant. All right, man. That's great. Thank you so much. Told you it was a good one. We went deep. Hope you enjoyed that riveting conversation. That sounded sarcastic, didn't it? But obviously it wasn't because it was a really decent chat. Thoroughly enjoyed talking with uh, Carl uh, about all manner of things. And yeah, lockdown is just just continuing, isn't it? Just 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 bobbling along, just bobbling along like a like a boy on a sea, not like a kid, like a you know a boy boy on the sea that floats, just like that, isn't it? Just floating along really what have i got to tell you just yes yeah, same same isn't it really you know just keeping the old routine going doing the old exercise the cooking oh i, I smashed i smashed tonight's meal i made a um, maple syrup and peanut butter glazed aubergine with rice noodles like sort of stir fry rice noodles and again with like some peanut butter sauce it was decent it's mad isn't it how many recipes you can find on instagram you don't even need you definitely don't need a recipe book i mean they look pretty to have on your shelves don't they you know oh someone comes around oh you're into cooking are you? yes 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 um. but uh you don't even need to go on because i was i would always usually go on jamie oliver's website to get recipes but you can literally just like scroll through if you're following the right people on instagram and then just save the recipes that's what i did to, tonight so um i find yeah, it's very meditative cooking you just sort of just there and we're listening to a podcast but it's like you have quite in the zone quite in the moment i like it i like it a lot i've been very quiet on social media over the last week or so i deleted instagram for a bit and it was no it's not for any specific reason it wasn't like oh this is causing me anxiety i just delete it and i just like forgot about it and it's very very enjoyable probably being a bit lazy i should be posting stuff you know funny sketches or whatever but i just cannot be asked (laughs) i am with that being said i am writing scripts at the moment and that is what's taking up the majority of my time if i really wanted to i could i could do videos and stuff maybe i will but you got i think you've got to want to do it haven't you really you've got to want to do otherwise what's the point something something comes up and i'll do it i'll do it Um, but for now i won't and if you have any objections to that, then fuck you. No, I'm not fuck you. I mean, why would you have any objections to that? You know, why would you? 
you know, he wouldn't care, would you, if I post content regularly or not? You just listen to my dulcet tones on this podcast. Okay, well, look, that's enough rambling on from me. It's now, it's 10.30 p.m. It's past my bedtime. If I want to get up and do my stupid mental morning routine at five, whatever it is in the morning, I really do have to go to bed now. So thanks as always for listening. There's been some really nice uh, reviews, some new reviews on the old Apple podcast. So uh, the, you know, that thing there. So if, if you're still listening to this now, and you've enjoyed this episode and you've enjoyed other episodes, then please do, please do, <laughs> please do leave a review and give it a nice five-star rating. That would be much appreciated. And until next time, I will see you or you will hear from me then. Have a good one. Balancing Acts is now made in association with the Comedy Crowd, who are a website and community that support independent comedy creators such as myself. I have a Comedy Crowd short, which is a a two-minute video one of my characters on their website. They showcase the best new videos on Comedy Crowd TV, which is comedycrowdtv.com, and across media platforms, so do go and check them out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.